Welcome back into the great Scott show, the great sports callers, open think tank. Joining me now, Raging Cajun analyst. You have heard him in the booth over the years. Raging Cajun alum. That would be Mr. Chris Lano. Chris, good morning. How are you, my friend? You know, unfortunately, I plan to be in studio with you to have this little uh, interview, but uh a little bit of turn of events last week that took place on Thursday before the game against Ohio, as you may well know of. So at least I'm back home in Luling, where we now have power. So, I mean, that, that's always a positive, but doing it over the phone just, you know, for today, a little bit of an audible, but, you know, good, good, good things, though, at least on, on, on you know, just in terms of just being able to be back home with the family. I'm yeah, right. yeah, in-game adjustments. Everybody okay? Yeah, everybody's fine. Um, of course, my younger daughter um, of, of eight years old caught COVID. She tested positive on that Thursday morning, so I had to throw in a wrinkle uh, in terms of calling a game with Jay. Gave Jay a call around lunchtime to let him know the news, and due to contract tracing, he advised it's best for himself and everyone else uh, to just go on home, try to stay quarantined, which we did, and a big thank you, a big shout-out to Richie Falco, who stepped in nicely and uh, performed nicely with no preparation, I must say, to do the game. and sounded great. I thought the broadcast was excellent, and they, they were just as good as the play on the field. And he loves to make fun of Jay on the broadcast, so I'm all for that as well. <laughs> oh, you know, I mean, I, I think uh, there, there, it's a special chemistry between those two. Uh, they've been around together a lot longer, so – you know, until I have more time along with Jay, I'll be able to crack jokes along with him the same way as Richie Falgu did. Chris Lano, our guest. Scared money don't make money. So uh, when Billy said that, uh, he probably didn't know it was going to become, uh, I guess, somewhat of a rallying cry. But in talking to him earlier this week, Chris, he's not the kind of coach that necessarily, like, seeks out that kind of attention. And yet he recognized right away, listen, if it's uh, – if it's promoting the program yeah let's let's get it let's roll with it and i know you know the the athletic department and and many others have done so and for that game against app state at home in a few weeks they're going to be giving away shirts with it and uh the moment itself though it you know it was right there uh it was the only call he was going to make they just got in but it seems like when it comes to risk assessment they usually, not always, I mean, I'm not saying they're batting a 1,000, but it seems like when you when you factor in analytics, risk assessment, when to go for it, when not to, it seems like they have a pretty good feel for, for this. I feel like in the Napier era, and maybe you could correct me, Chris, I feel like most of the time they've made the right call. It doesn't always work, but, you know, goal to go, do you go for it, do you try for three, do you punt here, do you go for it on fourth down? Um, it usually dials up a good play, and, and I find that more times than not, it, it, it works out. Well, each time you have gone for it on fourth down, and when I was working along with Jay for the first two games, him and I both agreed that it was a time of the game where we felt like we needed to go for it on fourth down. Whether we needed momentum, we needed to keep the defense off the field. So I agreed with just about every attempt that we made for going for it on fourth down against Texas in in week one. Now, where I say the surprise – of, of, of this all is who did we who have we called upon just about every time 
to convert on the most critical down in football, and that is the true freshman Montreal Johnson out of De La Salle. I mean, we have called his name from the get-go so far throughout three games, and I think that has been very glaring that he trusts his freshman, the big-body running back, 5'11", 200-pounder, to get the necessary yards that he needs to keep the drive going, or like we saw last week against Ohio, to eventually score. So that's that has been very promising. And you know, back to the back to the quote. I must say, when I heard it, I didn't really know too much about it. But my buddies were telling me the origin of that quote was from a rap song. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, if, so anybody listening out there who knows a little bit more than me, but I also heard the commentators in the Louisville Central Florida game the next day on Friday, they referenced that line and they paid homage to Billy Napier when it was one of the two teams, either Louisville or Central Florida. I'm not sure which one. When they went for it on fourth down, they used the quote the day later. So I thought that was pretty great. That was pretty cool to see. So definitely it has gone viral nationally. It's great, too, because he said that he told all the coaches before that play call, so what do you want to do? He said, "Scared money don't make money," and then he called the play. Like he, you know, he was saying it. He was yeah, saying it before like, he told. It, it, it was already on his mind, uh, which is just funny because I'll talk to Billy about music and stuff. But it's, you know, it's a slang term. It does get used a lot in the betting world as well. Not that they're in in sports betting, but just in terms of football and dialing it up. You know, it's it's a reference and it's slang that can be used in a lot of different places. But I think in the world of sports, there are a lot of different occasions that call use the phrase and i don't know it, it kind of got going on social media there a little bit we'll see if it dies down or if it picks up but uh in the meantime you know what it it, it promotes the program and, and it promotes him so i think he's i think he's all for it yeah and you know it's we talked about the origin of the phrase and it comes from a comes from hip-hop and and let's be honest, you're dealing with 20, 21, 22-year-old kids, and that translates well to those athletes. That's what they listen to. That's what they like to hear. So I think they respond well to something like that. Chris Lano, our guest, ESPN 1420. Um, before we move on, Chris, those situations that we talked about, you mentioned Montrell Johnson. Uh, he became, I guess it was the – the 10th time a player has rushed for four more touchdowns in a game in program history. Um, seven to- seven players have done it. Brian Mitchell did it three times. I say that, but but Elijah McGuire and uh, Alonzo Harris, they, they, they had five touchdowns in a game, uh, and each had four in another game. So it's, it's more than that. But reality is, Johnson, to get the call in those fourth and shorts and for it to maybe not be a Chris Smith at this point um, – where I know they loved running back by a committee. It's what they've done, and it's it's. And yet I say that like you had Raymond Kale, you had Alonzo, uh, you had um, Trey Regis, you had Elijah Mitchell, and then you had Mitchell Regis and Smith. And even even though you've always sort of had the last couple of years a three man backfield, they always kind of had a pecking order as well. Maybe one game someone else's number would get called a little bit more than another. But they always seem to have a slight pecking order. Even if you wanted to call it 1A, 1B, 1C, there was still a pecking order. Where are you right now? How would you rank the pecking order of the Raging Cajun running backs? It's a great question, and it's one that I was kind of thinking about after the game on Thursday. When we get the depth chart every week, earlier in the week, you know, we typically see Chris Smith and Amani Banley and then Montreal Harris or, or and or Montreal Harris as the awesome. second or third running back 
will that ever change? Or basically, is that is that depth chart kind of set in stone? You know, Chris Smith, he may come out and start the football game, but he may want play one play, and next thing you know, boom, Montreal Johnson, you insert him in. Although Chris Smith may have gotten to start, you see a guy like Montreal Johnson with the bulk of the carries. And I think with his body type and what he allows you to do offensively, this ability to run in between the tackles, I, I think he right now could be your best option regardless of classification. And another thing, I was at that Texas A&M football game uh, I want to say it was four years ago. It was Hudspeth's last season. So Trey Regas and Elijah Mitchell, they were both freshmen on the football field. And I got to say, I'm watching Montreal Johnson, and it's like I'm comparing apples to apples. So I'm trying to split hairs. They're nowhere near, uh, or I should say, Elijah McGuire and um, Elijah Mitchell and Trey Regas are not the runners back in their freshman season as the way Montreal Johnson is. I mean, I think I think he is a step ahead from where they were four years ago, and we see where they're playing right now in the NFL on Sunday. So I, I think this kid is leaps and bounds ahead of where he should be, where we had hoped he would be, but he's a special player, and he's not running like a freshman. There was a, there was a particular play against Texas, and Cody and I, we alluded to it during the break, um, where when he had to convert on a fourth down, or it may have been a critical third down, he, it was only a one-yard gain, but it was a very savvy, impressive one-yard gain he did, the way he was able to sidestep the defender and able to just lower his shoulder and hit the hole and knowing what he had to do to keep the drive going. It, was just, it just looked like a veteran-type move. And I remember looking at that at that time thinking, okay, you know, he gets it. You know, he knows how to run with the football. He's not just a very talented athlete. I think, he had, I think he's very smart above the shoulders. So, once again, it's another running back you can mix into the fold that's going to be very special for the next three or four years. Chris Lano, our guest, a.k.a. Crippa. I'm Scott Prather. It's ESPN 1420. And, uh, Crippa, uh, talking to Shane Vallow last week, uh, had Taylor Humphrey on earlier this morning, and, you know, both pretty openly just acknowledged that, you know, the first couple weeks of the season, obviously they didn't play to their standard, but when kind of pressed as to maybe why – they said, look, you can guard against it, but, you know, the preseason hype, everything else, it maybe it got to us a little bit, you know. And and for both of them to just kind of acknowledge that, you know that was being hit home in the locker room at practice. And, and Coach Napier said all fall camp, you know, the number doesn't mean anything. He's talking about being ranked preseason. He's like, it, it, it has nothing to do with this year. That's completely last year. And, you know, doing as much as they could to guard against it, didn't look good against Texas and, um, you know, had their issues against Nickel State, albeit in a win, but a locker room that every player to a man said, we weren't celebrating. We won the game. We were kind of upset about it. Much more of a celebratory atmosphere after the win against Ohio, as uh, Lorenzo McCaskill put it after the game. We played raging Cajun football, as he described it. Uh, Imani Bailey said, you know, we were running violently. Uh, they were, they, they seemed to, have taken a step forward against Ohio. And while the Bobcats maybe aren't the biggest measuring stick in terms of some potential upcoming opponents like App State and others, you know, it just it felt very different last Thursday than it did over the previous two games. How hard is it to maybe not buy into a little bit of preseason hype? And, and, and how easy or difficult is the whole idea of flip the switch? I don't think it's ever that simple, but... Just from a mental standpoint, where are you at with the Cajuns right now 
from the first two weeks of the season to what they showed last Thursday night? Well, I know they had a big taste of it last year after we beat Iowa State on the road. We got a little bit of taste of that top 25 ranking, but this program and these players, they've never had to endure it throughout an entire offseason of being recognized and not having the ability to sneak up on anybody week one of a football season. I mean, everybody knew we were on the map come Texas. You know, a lot of times when you open up against those with those type of opponents, superior opponents, whether it be Iowa State, Texas, I'm trying to think of other teams we have played in the past. Uh, we played Texas A&M. We, we've opened up against LSU. We, we've always considered those games map games. But you go to Austin week one in 2021, you're already on the map. You know, Texas knows about you. And I remember just watching Sarkeesian and those players after, you know, the clock hit zeros across the board. I mean, they were celebrating like it was a big victory because it was a big victory. So, I mean, that, that was going, that, to me, that was always going to be a challenge of itself. I knew it was going to be tough to go in there and run the football against a very stout uh, front seven against the Longhorns, in which it was. I mean, they, they're two, their two linebackers, Brockenmeyer and Overshawn, were – you know, maybe the best tandem that we'll see all year. And they, they, their front four was very formidable. And Nichols did a lot of the same thing. They also had very veteran-like players along their front seven as well. And, you know, they had very good gap accountability, and they played well, and you got to give credit to them. Now, one thing we saw against Ohio I felt was glaring, and it came on the opening play. You know what I'm talking about? On offense. Fill me in. We ran – the speed motion, and we gave it to Dante Fleming to open up the football game. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's something that we have not done in the first two weeks. Now, let me go back to after we played Texas to give you a little bit of inside information. I, I, I know of a guy that knows Ter- Terry Joseph, the secondary's coach for Texas, very well. They used to coach together at Louisiana Tech. And one thing that Terry Joseph said, I thought this was very glaring, that when preparing for Louisiana, something that we did not do very much last year, when we ran the orbit motion, it's almost like a half-circle motion with the wide receiver going around the quarterback in the pistol formation, if you know what I'm talking about, in the speed, in the speed motion. To me, I've always believed there was a lot of smoke and mirrors. We never utilized that into our offense that much. It was just a lot of motion to try to create confusion on the defensive side of the ball. Well, Texas decided to come out and just not pay any attention to that. And the linebackers just stay true to their gap in the middle, in between the hash marks. Well, doing that opening play against Ohio, I thought that it may have changed a little bit of their defensive schemes for Ohio in terms of trying to spend a little bit more time on the motion as far as uh, respecting it more. And, 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 you know, Scott, if you move, if you're an inside linebacker and you move one foot to the left or one foot to the right trying to pay that. Uh, motion a little bit of respect, that can put you out of position in a game of inches. So I, I think that played a big part into it. And who knows, it might be a little bit of evil genius for, from Billy Napier's part, knowing that he has Georgia Southern the next week. And now they got to study everything. They got to put everything into play on defense because we utilized our entire offense, I thought, for the first time last week. Last week was that we ran a Levi Lewis style of offense, and it was beautiful to see. And I think that played a big part as far as running in between the tackles with our running backs, because I, I just I thought it, it moved the defense a lot of pre-snap because we had showed many times during that game we were willing to hand it off to the wide receivers along the edge. So I, I thought that was very glaring, and we did that opening play. 
And I, I thought it was a good move, and, and that may have set the tone for the remainder of that game, and I think that played a big part in just our overall successful ability to run the football that game. Chris Lano, our guest, the SB at 1420, and they ran it, and they ran it well, over 300-plus yards rushing, not a single guy over 100, kind of sharing it and really doing what they, they've done under Coach Napier. You know, you've, you've got him year four now. You have a better, a pretty good sense of what he wants to do as a play caller uh, and kind of dictate the, the the game in the trenches, run the ball, and go from there. Speaking of the Cajun offense, Chris, one thing that they have done very well under Napier, and for that matter with Levi Lewis since he's been there and the two have been together, is the two-minute offense. Into the first Absolutely. half, whether it's a minute left on the clock, 30 seconds, two minutes, in the two-minute offense, they have consistently been very, very good. And, you know, scared money don't make money. I know folks were saying, I'm not sure, but it's still whatever. You can, you cannot be sure. They went down the field and scored a touchdown with no thought. That worked. Um, and it seems like I, 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 I can't go back. I haven't gone back and looked at every single game. But of all the situations where they've been in that two-minute offense, it seems like every time they've converted it into something, some kind of points before the half. And he loves to defer when they win the toss, right? I mean, go two for one. But – why, in your opinion, have they been so successful in the two-minute offense in the Billy Napier era at UL? I, it could be maybe a sense of urgency, and I think maybe quick tempo is, is the kind of style of offense that Levi Lewis likes to play. And you know, I, I don't think there's any argument he is the best two-minute uh, two-minute style quarterback, two-minute offense quarterback that we've ever seen at Louisiana. I can't think of another. Um, I have not done the numbers, and I'm not sure if the numbers are available, but I'll, I'd like to know his overall success rate of getting any kind of points on the board in the two-minute style offense. And, you know, would not be surprised if it's anywhere above 90%. And I, I think, you know, you, you look at the talent across the board along the wide receiver position, I, I just think it's, you know, in their head, it's go time. You know, it's, it's time to rock and roll. Now we can finally use our athletic ability to run up and down the field. And, our running backs, uh, they're, they're very athletic, and just, they like to catch the ball out of the backfield. So I, I just think maybe it's the type of personnel that we possess that plays a big part in just our overall success with the two-minute offense. But I also believe that it takes Levi Lewis several possessions to, get final, to finally get going. And one thing we had not seen yet, uh, we, we saw a little bit of it against Ohio, but I'd like to see more of it. And we did it a lot the last couple of years with Levi Lewis. Is you try to get his arm going early in the football game with, with the quick outs. You know, down the sideline, you play a numbers game, you do bunch formation with three men wide receivers, and you throw it out. And it's almost like a quick screen pass just to kind of get his arm going. And my theory with Levi Lewis, by the time the two-minute offense comes, you know, he's starting to feel himself. He's starting to get more into a rhythm. You know, he's been a slow starter for us in the past three years. That's, that's, just, that's just fact. Um, and I think that plays a big part in why Billy Napier likes to defer in the opening kickoff just to try to get his defense on the football field because Levi has shown to be more of a second-half player. On the defensive side of the ball this year, Chris, you were very high on the depth and the talent in the secondary. Um, they struggled against Nichols. Uh, they gave up some yards against Texas. And, you know, they did, they did fine against Ohio. We're, we're going to see how good the Bobcats are or aren't. Um, but, you know, to say that the entire team improved 
in week three compared to the previous weeks, that'd be accurate. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to not give credit to the secondary, uh, and 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 you know while giving credit to the others, they they played better against Ohio. But I, I guess you know I was kind of bullish on the on the Cajun secondary. I feel like it's one of the better ones in in the group of five. You were very high on the talent there. How would you grade their performance through three weeks? And Georgia Southern isn't a team that likes to sling it around a ton. They throw it more than they used to, but you know they're gonna they're gonna run the triple option is for the for the most part. Well, I don't I don't know how much the, the secondary will be tested in terms of coverage this week. It's really just about fundamentals, technique, and you know not uh, not over pursuing. But in terms of the secondary thus far, where are you at? You know, letter grade if you want, but through three games, how do you feel about it? I think so far it's been average, maybe a little bit above average in terms of what our I think our ability is in the secondary. Uh, a little disappointed against Texas. I thought a lot of times on third down when we had decent pressure against the quarterback, I, I thought you know we, we could have done a little bit better on the back end on helping our defensive line. Uh, against Nichols, you know, we, we tried to double up uh, Dixon in, in the second half, and that didn't really work out too well for us. I thought our secondary got lackadaisical at the end of the football game uh, on a drive that we maybe we thought would not have mattered when they when Nichols scored. But I think last week against Ohio, I thought they uh, come to their own finally. They finally got their legs under them, and they played well. But I, I got to say, you're right. I did make the comment uh, preseason that I thought that our secondary was going to be the bread and butter in terms of our overall depth. Now, having a chance to recalibrate everything after three games, now that we have data, under our belt, I think by far the best position, the best unit that we possess on our entire team is our defensive tackle position, whether that be the three technique or the nose tackle, because Mason Narcisse and Dalvin Hutchinson, they have arrived. And I, I, I am very confident, and, and Zion Hill has shown to, to be this, unfortunately, the last three years. He just cannot stay healthy, cannot stay on the football field. But now, I feel pretty good if he were to be down. Let's just say he, he's out again against George Southern. We don't know yet. We'll find out more on Saturday. We probably won't know anything until Saturday right before kickoff if he's going to be suited up or not. But I have a lot of faith in those two uh, young players, as well as Jacqueline Nelson, who has played very well. So I think our bread and butter three weeks into this season is definitely in the interior of our defensive front. We have, we have recruited very well there. We have signed a lot of good players there over the last couple of years. It's definitely coming into fruition. You mentioned Hutchinson, uh, big sauce, Taylor Humphrey up there in the front as well. He told me earlier this morning, Hutchinson's benching, you know, well over 500. So I would say they oh, got a little. And let me tell you something right now. It, it, that definitely applies on the football field. I mean, there was one, two, three, several times on two hands, and I could probably count where he just straight bull rushed the guard for Texas just to get into the backfield. Now, he may be a one or two down player, <laughs> but let me tell you, on those two downs, it's very effective. All right, good stuff. Chris Lano is our guest. Final question for you, Chris, and we'll let you run. Appreciate the time. Um, give me your prediction. What are you looking for this Saturday in Statesboro as Louisiana takes on Georgia Southern? Okay, so let's look at the lines. I'm I'm looking at it now, and it's a 13 and a half point spread where the where Louisiana is favored. I thought two years ago, going in to Georgia Southern, I thought uh, 
that was Levi Lewis's coming out party, especially on the first play of the fourth quarter that nobody has any clue what I'm talking about right now. But, <laughs> but he, he converts a long third down to Peter LeBlanc opening up the fourth quarter. And from that point, I thought Levi was coasting pretty well as a quarterback uh, for us. But um, going back, uh, it's going to be a raucous crowd. They have a very, very good student section that shows up. It's one, you know, I've always said it, it's, it's very special, you know, it's very uh, endearing to when you have a stadium in the middle of your campus, and it shows. It really shows with their student section, and, and they're going to be out there supporting um, th- their, uh, their team, and it, it's going to be a fun matchup, especially to watch on television. But I've got to review a little bit of Georgia Southern uh, because I thought I wasn't too sure if I was going to be kind of going to have to go out and fly with the team to broadcast the game along with Jay Walker, but instead that's going to be Richie Falgu along with them, which is totally fine. But you know, I, I see a big victory because one thing, you know, they fired Ron Hudson, their offensive line coach a year ago. And I, I think, you know, they've lost a little bit of their edge on offense. They don't look as physical as they once were. Uh, running that power uh, triple option that they've been known for for 50 years. And, you know, with this quarterback, you know, they have shown with, with Justin Tomlin that, you know, they may come out and throw the ball on first down. So it's a little bit of, a, of an identity crisis, I think, that they're going through. They're trying to change the offense to run a little bit more spread and uh, use, and throw the ball down the field. But it's just they're, I think they're just having issues trying to discover who they are as an offensive scheme. And, you know, I, I do think Shy worked. He was a better runner with the football the, the previous four years for Georgia Southern. You know, but Justin Tomlin, you know, he showed last week on a film against Arkansas on a big third and 11 on their own 24-yard line. You know, he got outside of the pocket and just ran down the field unscathed against the entire Arkansas defense. So he has that ability. I don't think he's as aggressive as a runner as Shy Wartz was, but I, you know, I, I, I think this game's going to be close at half, but I think eventually the depth especially along the off the front in the defensive line for Louisiana. They're going to pull away, and I can see a set. Let me, uh, I'm going to go with a 34-14-like 34, victory. That's my prediction. That is Chris Lano. Crippa, always appreciate the time, man. Love the analysis, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking soon. All the best to you and the fam. Thanks a lot, Scott. Thanks for having me on. As always, that is Chris Lano. When we come back, he mentioned the line. We're going to take a look at some of the betting lines around the world of football coming up this week, both NFL and pro. Where to look? Five games that I uh, feel pretty good about. Don't go anywhere. That comes your way next here on the Great Scott Show, ESPN 1420 and .com. Oh, no, no, no. 